Today on the show, we're keeping it simple. Nothing flashy. We promise, Stilgar. <laughs> I'm going to do a kickflip. I'm going to do a kickflip on the worm. <laughs> Once I'm on the worm, I'm going to flip it. <laughs> right. What's flashy for your generation, Stilgar? Because I'm Gen Z from it. Something, something, say less. Yeah. Catch the worm outside. They have to. <laughs> <laughs> they don't come inside. <laughs> Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. You tripped up a little on film. Yeah, I don't there. know why. That I was wonder weird. why. So strange. <laughs> Guess we won't address it. Is something on your mind about the Dune movie, perhaps? No. <laughs> no the trailer came out the trailer's the trailer! out oh my god on may 3rd we were blessed a day before star wars day get fucked yeah. star wars <laughs> <laughs> we got an official trailer for dune part two and we are we over the moon over both moons of arrakis with excitement yeah we are and we can't wait to break it down yeah. scene by scene shot by shot which is what we're here to do today but first, but first, as always, mm -hmm. let's take care of some very quick housekeeping. First and foremost, a spoiler warning. Today's discussion and breakdown of the trailer will consist of spoilers for the entirety of the first book. Right. Part two will cover the second half of the book, and there are scenes from the second half of the book. <laughs> yeah. And thus, we will be talking about them. So make sure you have at least read the entirety of the first book before listening today. If only there was like a podcast that did a book club guiding you through every single page of the first book, yeah, making it nice yeah. and easy and fun to... Anyway, yes, <laughs> make sure you've read that first book. And finally, huge, huge thank you to our Kwisatz Haderach level patrons, yes. Case Aiken and Matthew Good. Gentlemen, if we were going on a leagues-long worm journey together, uh -huh. I would give you exclusive access to the... Reverend Mother Palanquin, and I'd kick the Reverend Mother out. Oh. I'd be like, get oh. out of there. Kasich wow. and Matthew Good, their legs hurt, and they're tired of the sand. Yes. Let them sit, is what I would say to her. Yep. Just for you two, because we appreciate your generosity so, so much. <laughs> we do. Thank you so much. All righty. Here's the game plan for today's discussion. Yeah. We are going to be spending a majority of this episode, basically all of this episode, going through the trailer, shot by shot, frame by frame, beat by beat, breaking it down, sharing our own analysis, and of course, getting hyped, geeking out about <laughs> yeah. what we're seeing on screen, mm -hmm. because spoiler alert, the trailer is incredible. <laughs> yeah. And then later in the episode, just to wrap up, we will share our favorite moment from the trailer, and we'll discuss some lingering questions that right. we still have about Dune Part 2, because the trailer showed a lot, but it did not show everything. Yeah. And hey, if you haven't seen the trailer yet, I would say go watch it and check out on uh, the Lore Party YouTube channel. We have a live reaction of us seeing it for the first time. Yes. If you haven't seen that yet, feel free to look at that as well. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And if you haven't seen any video footage of us, you'll get to see what we look like. It's true. Which blew a listener's mind. Someone emailed recently. It was like, holy <laughs> shit, you guys don't look like anything I imagined. 
the constructs in my mind. It's so funny. That happens to me with every podcast I listen to. And it hadn't even crossed my mind that that would happen to people for us. Cause I just, I sound like me and I know what I look like (laughs) (laughs) and you, as it turns out, sound like you and I know what you Uh look like. So I was like, yeah, "Yeah." obviously everyone knows what we look like. Two and two (laughs) equals four. Yeah. That's basic math. All right. Let's get into it. (laughs) Let's get into it. Now, before we jump into the trailer, Let's take a quick break. Indeed. Maybe this is the perfect opportunity for you, dear listener, to go watch the trailer to refresh your memory, but then come right back because we're breaking it down. We'll see you in a minute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for being patient. You've done it. You've made it. Let's talk about the scene-by-scene breakdown of this trailer. Oh, boy. Because it is dense. (laughs) So much (laughs) packed in. Yeah. And this begins with the first scene. Yes. So the trailer opens up before we even get to any Warner Brothers blah, blah, blah logos. Right. We fade up on Paul and Chani sitting atop a dune. As Paul tells Chani about the oceans of his homeworld, Kaladin, about the very concept of swimming. Yeah. And Chani's like, <laughs> I don't buy this. Yeah. Sounds like he's fucking lying. Stop lying, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a thing. You're making this up. <laughs> and already we're seeing some beautiful cinematography right yeah the dune part one blew us away with how gorgeous it looked denny villeneuve a master of his craft that is clearly not changing here in dune part two beautiful shots here over the desert and we get throughout this trailer in fact some very bold compositions and cinematography uh we'll talk later on the shot of fade rotha and Paul standing off, silhouetted by the sun. Incredible stuff. And we see it very quickly here in the very first second or two of this trailer. Yeah, there's this really beautiful shot, which I guess they shot with a telephoto lens, right? They're like super, Mm. super far back. And Paul and and, uh, Chani are in focus. And then the desert is just right there in front of them. And and the depth of field is all wonky because they're using a really long lens on the camera. Yeah. But it it just makes the desert so immediately there. Like it is them amidst the desert. Right. And that's just, it's so beautiful. It's gorgeous. And I didn't expect it. And that's, it's that sort of visual storytelling that Villeneuve is very good at. I feel like these shots are sprinkled through all of his movies, but it, it always still catches me off guard where I'm like, Oh man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a nice shot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The man knows how to frame a shot for sure. Yeah. Now, this opening scene of Paul and Chani sitting on top of this dune talking about the waters of Kaladin is a nice tip of the hat to the first time we hear about Chani in the book itself, which is very early on in the pages of Dune, right at the start, where Paul is telling Moheim that he keeps having these dreams about a girl. And in one of these dreams, he hears her say, tell me about the waters of your homeworld, Usul. Yeah. End quote. Yeah. And so we're literally seeing that happen here in the first shots of this trailer that's so great yeah i and i I think considering chani 
a lot of people wanted Chani to be more present in the first movie, which is hard because the bulk of the first movie's runtime was getting Paul to the Fremen. Yeah. Yeah. We are, we are going to have to, in the runtime of this movie, watch Paul and Johnny like fall in love with one another and kind of believe it so much so that if we get a Dune Messiah, that we will understand that they are together and how much they mean to each other. Right. And so these little scenes are really important. And this is not one for one a scene from the book. No. It could be an adaptation of a scene from the book. Uh, it kind of reminds me of when they're in the still tent before his first worm ride and they're talking mm -hmm. a little bit and stuff. Mm -hmm. But. I, I'm glad to see that we will get time of them alone to see their relationship grow. And then both of them are such solid actors that I expect fully to be like bought in on yeah. their relationship, which is very important. If the chemistry is on point, I have no doubt that I'll believe that they love each other deeply and care totally. for each other. Now, the trailer continues and we then hear narration of someone saying, quote, in the shadows of Arrakis lie many secrets, but the darkest of them all may remain the end of House Atreides, end quote. Mm, yeah. And then we are immediately shown who that is, Florence Pugh, as Irulan, yeah. our first oh. shot of Irulan Carino. Yeah. And she is literally playing her role as a writer, historian, reporter, because she's like talking into this little black device, yeah. this recording device, as she is recounting the story of the fall of house atreides and of arrakis right and it's really nice to see her in this role because no previous adaptation has really leaned into that aspect of irulan that she is quite literally a historian in dune we see snippets of her writings in every right. chapter of the book itself right yeah so it's fun to see that this movie is leaning into that side of her absolutely now underneath this narration we get a few shots right mm -hmm. and the first one is atop the back of a worm which yeah. is amazing in a reverend mother palanquin yep and this is literally in in the book we get this quote jessica was quote writing a reverend mother's palanquin fixed to the back of a wild maker end quote mm -hmm. so again <laughs> this is a single sentence that i wouldn't even have thought of like it, generally if i were to adapt this movie i might not even include the journeys from siege to siege because toward the end of the book anyway a lot of it's like and now they're in the cave of birds right and we're not going to really talk about the you know days of travel that it took yeah but showing that travel and making the decision what does a reverend mother palanquin look like when they affix it to the back of the maker like what does that look like and then to give us that is so exciting and i'm yeah. so grateful you know, worms are the primary means for Fremen to travel long distances across the vast deserts of Arrakis. Right. So it is very, very cool to see this small detail brought to life, even just in this trailer, let alone, I don't know how big of a scene it's going to be in the movie. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. notably, Jessica has the tattoos, has the yes. eyes of the Abad. This is clearly post-Reverend Mother Jessica after she's yeah. gone through the Water of Life ceremony. She's also wearing the same headdress, kind of metallic band headdress thing that she's later wearing when she tells Paul that they gave them hope. Right. And the costumes are just absolutely beautiful. I'll also point out, so in the next shot, we get what looks like Harkonnen soldiers with flamethrowers or a Harkonnen soldier with flamethrowers mm -hmm. burning Atreides, Atreidean bodies and an oil portrait of Duke Leto Atreides. Oh, Unfortunate. <laughs> just give it, sell it on Marketplace. All right? Don't burn it. What are you doing? Someone will pay a pretty penny or a gram of spice for that. It's me. I'll pay a gram, gram of spice for that fucking <laughs> painting. I want it. Um, 
But I wanted to shout out about this scene. So it's a little unclear. It it seems like, especially with the juxtaposition of the painting, that these are probably Atreidian bodies. It's also possible, someone in our Discord pointed out, it's possible these are fallen Sardaukar, any of the Sardaukar that did die, being burnt so that there's no evidence of Sardaukar involvement mm. on Arrakis. Yeah, that's, that's, that's also an interesting possibility. Again, trailers are misleading because they'll have shots that are not next to each other, cut next to each other. Totally. But I did want to point out, looking at it frame by frame, the person with the flamethrower has on the back of their helmet a little like spinning fan. Yeah, <laughs> like I noticed that too. Yeah, and I was like, what a fun costume detail. Yeah. Not necessary. If that weren't there, I wouldn't have been like, there's no moving pieces on that helmet. You know, so yeah. I think very, very uh, cool little detail. And I can't help but think about we saw this masterclass with Jacqueline West, who did the costume design for this movie. And she was talking about just how much more of a process too has been like how much more deeply they've dived into uh maybe what details are and are not in the in the film yeah uh, and these are the little details that i'm really excited to pick apart now but especially once the movie is out to rewatch the movie and go oh that's kind of fun that's a nice little detail yeah i like to think that little fan on that harkonnen soldier's helmet is like an attachment for a rackus and it, it's literally a fan. Like, it blows air into his head yeah, so that he isn't all sweaty and gross in there. A little AC in, unit? Into his helmet. Yeah, a little <laughs> AC unit, you know? Yeah. You got to just switch out the AAA battery, like, every goddamn, like, two weeks. And, yeah. <laughs> I, I like to imagine that's why that fan exists. And sometimes he flips the helmet backwards, and then he talks through it. And it's like that fun <laughs> thing when you talk into it. As a, <laughs> He's like, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, Jeff, stop uh, it, Jeff. You're so Jeff, silly. Go burn the bodies, Jeff. God damn it. Burn the, have you finished burning the bodies? You haven't yet? Stop it. <laughs> God damn it, Jeff. All right. After that shot of Jeff and the burning bodies and his little fan, we hear Jessica say to Paul, quote, your father didn't believe in revenge. Right. And this is really fun to see because this plants the seed. We'll see it again later in the trailer as well. The seed of a rift forming between Paul and Jessica. Right. And I get the sense from the tone of her voice, from the reaction shot of Paul we get immediately after, that there's disagreement on how they're going about this whole Fremen situation, how they're going to get power back. And it's clear that Paul uses the mythology of the Lisan al-Gaib and the legends planted by the missionary protectiva to rise to power within the Fremen. But as we've discussed many times on this podcast, that's a little manipulative. It's a little icky. It's a little gray area morally. And it's nice to see that the movie will seemingly at least be touching on those ideas a bit. It does seem like this film is painting Paul as a more emotional figure than he was in the book. Mm. Because in the book, he's very focused on how do I prevent this, this like, jihad my name spreading across the yeah. and that's like very actively on his mind the whole time where he's just going oh what do i do how do i avoid this how do i avoid this yeah even as he makes these decisions that position him to take the imperial throne he does so not like yes i'm going to fucking punish them for what they did to house atreides he's like this is what i need to do to prevent the jihad from being even worse right and these visions that i've had that are even worse right and maybe it's just frank's writing that makes him seem kind of emotionally detached because I do remember reading the book and not even clocking the fact that he's like shaking and sobbing and very like, you know, there are times when he is very emotional mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. that I just didn't notice because the tone is so poetic and prosy. But 
the idea of rage what was it rage rises or something like that is one of the title screens on this mm. trailer mm-hmm. and even that idea of her saying your father didn't believe in revenge it's not from the book and it doesn't seem like he's in the same headspace as he is in the book but again i think villeneuve has demonstrated that he's not afraid to make changes if it will yield a better movie experience yeah changes that are still in line with the character too yeah 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 exactly like that part of paul is there but it's not focused on but also the thing that is focused on in the book is all cerebral and abstract and at the end of the day he is taking the imperial throne so right right it's kind of interesting violently (laughs) swiftly and violently with atomics and giant worms right right now the next shot in the trailer we see after that paul and jessica exchange is Irulan walking next to someone whose shoulder we can see. Yeah. And you had speculated during our live reaction that maybe that's Shaddam that she's walking next to. Maybe she's talking to her father. Yeah. And we hear her say, what if Paul Atreides was still alive? I'll also, because there's a tiny shot. There's, there's, it's really quick, but there's a little moment just before that where it's like a shimmering figure walking the foreground is like dirt and rocks and it's in focus. And then the shimmering figure in the distance is uh, obscured by heat and, you know, just the depth of field of the camera. Right. And because that proceeds that what if Paul Atreides is still alive, it really seems like, okay, here's this shimmering figure emerging from the desert or walking into the desert. This is Muad'Dib, the mysterious religious fanatic leader that's popped up among the Fremen. After the two-year time jump, we get uh, Thufir and... Baron Harkonnen talking about, oh yeah, there's this new fig, there's this new person on the planet, but he's really mysterious and we don't know anything about him. Like, oh yeah, here it is. There's the shot of Muad'Dib in the desert. And then Irulan says, what if Paul was still alive? And it's a great pairing of shots. I also like that this is framing the what if Paul was still alive theory as Irulan's versus just people going, ah, no, he's, he's probably dead. I don't know. Yeah. Like it was a general rumor. But this is Irulan being the investigative journalist going, ah, I've got a lead. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pound the pavement a bit. I'm going to get some answers. Yeah. And Irulan as a character deserves a healthy part of this movie. And it seems like she's getting some agency and some uh, presence that isn't even in the book, but that we're very happy for because Irulan ends up being such an important character historically. Yeah. I'd be curious if we get Hawat in this book at all, actually. It feels like Irulan takes over a oh. lot of Hawat's responsibilities in the book as far as being aware of what's happening on Arrakis, investigating what's happening on Arrakis, looking into Muad'Dib, the religious figure. I'd be curious because we saw no Hawat in this trailer at all. That's really interesting. And maybe you just sort of say Hawat got killed off in the assault and Irulan is the one that investigates Arrakis, realizes who Muad'Dib is, warns the Emperor, warns the Baron, etc., etc. Yeah, Hawat's role in the book is important because Baron lost his Mentat and is like, I'm going to use this new Mentat is mine, as mine. But Mentats aren't even in the first like, fucking yeah, movie. <laughs> they're like not a big deal at all in the first yeah. movie. So, yeah, it, it, that's a thought that just occurred to me because I just now realized as you were talking that Thufir Hawat is nowhere to be seen in this trailer. So maybe Irulan yeah. takes on some of that role. We'll have to see. We saw basically the surviving members of House Atreides right. minus Hawat. Right. We'll have to see. So actually, speaking of Gurney, 
we see yeah. him in the next shot. We we <laughs> oh, see yeah, like a great. very gruff looking gurney. He's looking through some binoculars, and he looks pretty rough out here. He's clearly somewhere out in the desert or somewhere on Arrakis. And presumably this is Gurney embedded with the smugglers, as we know he is yep. for the second half of the book. And this exact scene actually strikes me as the moment where he's like looking out at the spice that the smugglers are going to try to go for. But as we all know, the spice is bait for the Fremen and for Paul to attack these smugglers. So it feels like that moment where he like literally is about to reunite with Paul. Yeah. 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 Which also he looks very gruff. Maybe they're going to do the time jump. Because it would be a little strange if that was like day three. Yeah. <laughs> like day three looks like that. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we've talked about like, we're, we're still not sure what the timeline of this movie is going to be like and if they're going to do any kind of like jump forward. But I mean, his gruffness is a, is a bit of evidence that maybe they will. Yeah. Well, then we get our first glimpse <laughs> of Fade Ralph Harkonnen. Oh my God. As a giant vagina door opens up <laughs> and births him into the into the coliseum <laughs> into the for his, for his uh -huh, birthday uh -huh, bash uh -huh. for his uh what is it 16th birthday yeah like murder fest <laughs> we we call that a sweet 16 here in the states <laughs> <laughs> yeah kill senetta <laughs> so yes he's very bald super bald yeah remarkably bald mm-hmm He's very angry looking. Yep. Just very intimidating looking. Like he, very scary. And all of these shots of the Coliseum of anything that really could be Giddy Prime seems almost black and white. Yeah. Like almost completely desaturated. And it's shocking. Now, I did want to point out fun little detail, and you'll see this in the two, two or three of the Coliseum shots. We saw in promo photography of Dune part two, fade in front of that vagina orifice door, door <laughs> vagina door with two knives and one of our fellow content creators i'd like to thank our friend elaine from uh nerd cookies please be our friend please be our friend elaine <laughs> so cool uh pointed out in her analysis of that fade rotha promo photo that fade has a white knife and a black knife and the knives in the book weren't denoted as as being specific colors one was specifically shorter and one was longer and then specifically fade had a white glove and a black glove and the white glove was supposed to be the knife with the poison on it and the black glove was the pure blade that doesn't have any poison on it and that was like his setup so elaine pointed out that instead of doing the gloves because he appears to have no gloves <laughs> as he's holding these knives it seems like Villeneuve has decided, okay, there's going to be a white blade and a black blade, and that'll like denote which one's which. And sure enough, uh, the quote from the book is, quote, the short knife in white gloved hand, white, the sign of poison, went first into its sheath, then the long blade in the black gloved hand, the pure blade, end quote. And again, this is Villeneuve being very attentive to detail, but also being willing to make little changes to make it a little bit more clear, perhaps, or like... Maybe maybe make it more visual as a medium. Yeah. Which is very, very cool. Also, black swords are dope. Yeah. They just look cool. <laughs> yeah. Demon Slayer fans out there know. <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. That black katana means something. It what means does it mean? Something. Don't fucking worry about it. We're moving on. <laughs> All right. So after we're introduced to Fade, we get a couple of rapid fire shots. We see a shot of Beast Raban 
presumably kneeling in front of the Baron, somewhere on Arrakis, it looks like. And we see someone out in the desert dodging machine gun fire. <laughs> yeah, it's like a giant Gatling gun. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> and this, to me, like my takeaway from these quick shots right here is that this movie will be more action-packed <laughs> than part one, right? Like if you went into part one and you were like, that was a lot of talking and stuff. Yeah. This movie, plenty of talking to be sure, but <laughs> there are a lot of action-packed moments in the second half of the book that I'm incredibly excited to see and that I think will lend to a much more capital B blockbuster film. Yeah. Like I'm thinking we may see Fidekin raids on Harkonnens. Yeah. That shit literally happens off page in the book. Maybe we'll see it on screen. There's, of course, the iconic attack on Arakeen the climax at the end of the book. Right. There's the gladiator fight in the Colosseum, which we saw glimpses of in the trailer. And then, of course, Paul's worm ride, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So these are all huge cinematic blockbuster moments, which I think is going to make part two a much more action-packed, like high-octane film. Yeah, absolutely. Also, the climactic duel between Paul between and Paul Fade. And Fade. That- is probably one of the most like riveting yeah. two or three page fights that I remember reading in <laughs> ever. Definitely. <laughs> very excited to see how they do that. Okay. So our next series of shots are very rapid fire, very quick. Mm-hmm. We've got Leia Sedu, whose name I fucked up a thousand times <laughs> <laughs> in our day of analysis, uh, as Margot Fenring. Yeah. Looking fucking spectacular. Oh my goodness. I mean, she's just such a beautiful person and she's an amazing actress. Yeah. But as a, Benny Gesserit's sister, whose job it is to seduce people. It's working. <laughs> yeah. It's I'm working. seduced. My God. <laughs> I started taking off my shirt watching that trailer. It was amazing. <laughs> I don't know what for what. Just it's the mood it put me in. Yeah. We see some sort of door lock or as someone, <laughs> as Alphonse in, in our, our Discord, Discord said, <laughs> bathroom hand dryer. <laughs> Which I love. <laughs> like a four finger like a little yeah you gotta clean your fingies it's a little it's a it's a it's a uv desanitizer you know like they have Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we get paul or someone with it looks like a fremen escort like a small fremen group entering a sort of vault or like earthen tunnel of some sort yeah and then we get a masked figure that looks straight out of like a legend of zelda ocarina of time forest straight up yeah (laughs) mini boss right Mm-hmm. Uh, holding a vial of probably water of life. Right. And this is something that you and I were both like, what is that? You had the idea that this is water of life. <laughs> I've been made fun of for it in our discord, <laughs> which is not fair because in the fucking book, it's like a bag. It's like a flagon, right. you know, and they, they squish it and the water gushes into Jessica's mouth. Right. It's not glass. So I was confused. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> anyway. No, it's fair. It's fair. That could be Reverend Mother Romalo holding the right. water of life. Could also be in the book. It was Chani who gave the water to Jessica. So maybe that's Chani in a Sayadina mask. Right. Could also just be a like water porter. Right. We get a very warm, almost sepia, very saturated shot of what looks like Paul. Yeah. You can tell from his loose hair. Right. Those curls. Those curls. The terrible water <laughs> discipline combined with beautiful hair routine. That is clearly Paul Atreides. Yeah. Fighting a figure in bulky armor, he pulls a knife from the fallen comrade of that person he's fighting. And it's one of two shots that's so hyper saturated. Yeah. Like there's another shot, wide shot of the desert, which is like 
basically blood orange. Right, right. And it feels like maybe this is a prescient vision or this isn't a part of his coma vision journey or I don't know. Or it could just be twilight. <laughs> it could just be like dusk on Arrakis, you know, one of the suns is setting. Right. Hard to say, but nevertheless, cool little shot. And we get some more fighting, which is mm -hmm. fun. We get Fade screaming oh. in the Coliseum. Horrifying. Which is terrifying. God, Austin Butler is really, he's pulling out the stump. It's <laughs> incredible. And also in that shot, the person he's fighting, who, again, we, we have reason to think is Roger Yuen, who is the fight coordinator for the movie and also plays Lieutenant Landville, is kind of collapsed against him. So it seems like the moment he wins. I also wanted to call out the, like, crab, black-clothed, weird slave handler people in the background <laughs> and they've got like big horned head but they're like kind of crab walking yeah. and i was like what the fuck is happening in the background yeah very spider creature vibes from the mm -hmm. background attendants mm -hmm. and then finally we get a shot of who i think you and i uh, we we both said confidently this is paul waking up from, from the, the spice coma. coma right but looking at it more slowly it looks like rebecca ferguson oh really i mean that's that's what it looks like to me we if you freeze it before they open their eyes, it's very, I don't know, it looks to me like Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. I mean, it's an extreme close-up, so very difficult to tell. All we see is basically eyes, nose, mouth, and nothing more. Yeah. And I'll also say it was in that moment that I realized, wow, they're really well cast. Because I would not say that Chalamet looks like Ferguson, but the fact that I'm looking at this like going, wait, which one is this? Yeah. Is this Chalamet or Ferguson? Hey, mother, son. Yeah. You know, makes sense that they look alike. Yeah. I'm going to say my money's on. This is Jessica waking up from her water of life ceremony as mm -hmm. as an awakened reverend yeah. mother. I, think. I saw some theories online actually about the water of life ceremony and the blue eyes because people pointed out that in the worm writing scene, Paul doesn't have his blue eyes yet. But in the fight with Fade, why do I keep forgetting his name? I keep wanting to say Austin Butler. In the fight with Fade at the end, his, his fight with Elvis, his, his fight with Elvis <laughs> fight he with does Elvis. have the blue eyes. Uh, and people online have theorized that maybe the blue eyes will be less aggressive in this film in the sense that once you pass the water of life ceremony, then you get the like very extreme blue eyes uh, and your average person won't be walking around with blue eyes. So it could denote someone who has overdosed, quote unquote, on Spice. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, we clearly see someone waking up from a spice dose here in this shot. Right. And then we see Rebecca Ferguson as the Reverend Mother with blue eyes. We see Paul later with blue eyes, but not earlier. So we'll, we'll have to see how they handle the deep blue eyes throughout the film. Well, actually, speaking of the worm ride, yeah. that's the next sequence we get. Yes. And a huge chunk of this trailer is this extended worm ride sequence that we see little snippets of. We obviously don't see it sequentially, right. but we see everything from Paul preparing for it. We see Stilgar's stern yet loving advice to Paul. <laughs> yeah. uh, then we actually see the jump itself, Paul running across that dune, the dune caving in on itself as the worm crosses it, and him sliding down onto the back of the worm using the maker hooks to clasp on. Uh, and then, of course, we see all the Fremen who are watching, including Chani, cheer in excitement oh, yeah and we get this stunning shot of stilgar as well and wow the, I, I mean the combination of the music swelling up at this point and just the cinematography and the big bold movie moment of it all 
was incredible. Yeah, yeah. This was the moment in the trailer where I first got chills. Like I was just like, holy shit. I also want to jump up out of my seat and cheer Yeah, for Paul who has just jumped onto this worm. In previous adaptations of Dune, whenever someone's riding a worm, they're kind of just standing there holding the reins, kind of just like standing. And then like having full on conversations with people. They're like, so what are we going to yeah. do? We're going to, and they're kind of just there. Right. This adaptation, this depiction of Paul, like shoulders hunched, arms out, you know, the cables are right. taut right. as he's holding on and the sand. And then there's this shot from the side where it's like, he's fucking booking. He's zooming. He is moving yeah. so yeah. fast. Yeah. That's, that worm is not regarding local speed limits. <laughs> He is going to get a ticket. <laughs> a Fremen on another worm. <laughs> and pulls him over. He's like, oh, okay, gosh. He gets ticketed for his first day driving. <laughs> student, student maker, driver. Uh, but no, it, it's really, it is so fast. It feels viscerally messy and dangerous. Yeah. And in a way that I'm realizing all the previous adaptations are just fucking <laughs> standing. Like, right. no, you're moving quick. Right. And it really feels like sand like that should be blowing in your eyes and in your mouth and shit. Like, you know, you're on the yeah. back of a giant wild <laughs> animal as it's racing yeah. through the sand. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I think they really nailed. I mean, they, they're obviously proud of it considering the huge chunk of the trailer <laughs> was yeah. the worm riding scene, yeah. but I think they should be proud of it. I think they truly nailed it. I did want to linger a minute on Stilgar because we get this shot of yeah. his reaction to seeing Paul successfully oh, yeah. ride the worm. And it's stunning. Right. Javier Bardem is doing so much with his face in just a half second shot. And I paused it and I was like, zoom and enhance. Are those subtle tears? Is Stilgar giving water to the dead here? It's beautiful. I mean, there's so much emotion, of course, happening in that moment. Book readers yeah. know what that moment means, not only for Paul, but for Stilgar as well, for his future within the tribe. And man, Javier Bardem encapsulates all of that in the reaction. I love him so much. He's one of my favorite actors right now. And he's just, he's just excellent. I'll also say we get this great little shot of so there's a reactions right everyone's right, having their reactions Ooh. but then there's a shot of someone who goes yeah and it's and it's a woman and i think it's a woman we see later as well and i believe that it's suhela yakub mm -hmm. when i've probably fucked up the pronunciation of your name i'm so sorry she's a swiss actress and she plays shishakli who is the fremen who in the book is mentioned three times all of which in this one scene right where in the book, it's a man. Uh, so in the book, he gives, he lends Paul his maker hooks and says, you can use my hooks. And Paul, observing the ritual, remains in silence, takes the hooks, goes and rides the worm. So Shashakli is the last Fremen that Paul interacts with before riding the worm. And then basically stops existing in the book. It seems like uh, Suhila Yakub, the, the actress who plays Shashakli, uh, maybe having a little bit more featured time in this movie. If you Google search Shishakli Dune 2, there are promo photos of Shishakli and, um, and Liet Kynes. And so it's sort of like this kind of background character might be taking on some meaning as a representative of other Fremen and maybe having more time yeah. on screen, which is yeah. very cool. And I'll also say that in this scene, I, th I think you're, you're absolutely right. Stilgar, his, you know, looks to me 
like he's proud he's he's fearful he's worried about paul he's he's happy he's overcome with emotion there's just a lot there and i think i'm hopeful that this overall scene is along those lines because in the book right they're very clear he goes summon a worm great paul summons a worm and it's like one of the biggest worms that anyone's seen right and they're like oh my god that's an old man of the desert like that's an ancient worm and Paul thinks to himself, oh, yes, even this is going to be legendary. Right. Like, this is going to be part of my myth. Right. So I'm kind of hoping that Villeneuve leans into this a little bit, almost borrowing from anime, <laughs> you know, where the character does something and you have to have background characters go, oh, my God, it's never been done that fast before. <laughs> it's, or over like that. it's over 9,000. It's over 9,000. You can't just show how powerful you need characters to be like, I can't even follow their movements with my eyes, right. you know, right. something like that. I want two Fremen to be like, I've never seen a worm that large or something like that. I want that so badly, so viscerally. And I hope we get it. I hope that this is indic indicative of the yeah. overall scene. Yeah. I, I am confident <laughs> they're going to do this scene justice. And yeah, I think so. I'm also confident I'm going to pee a little bit in IMAX <laughs> because this will be so fucking loud. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's okay. Can you imagine? We'll see it together. We'll pee together. <laughs> We'll pee a little together. I'll wear a diaper. <laughs> I'm equipped. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> Sir, I'm just asking for your ticket. I'm ready for this film. Why are your pants bolting? Two reasons. <laughs> Two reasons. One of All them's right. not what you expect. <laughs> All right, theater six. Just go. Just go. <laughs> and that's how we get into the IMAX showing for free. <laughs> that's how we get arrested at the IMAX showing for free. <laughs> <laughs> All right, after the extended worm riding sequence, the trailer continues, and we get another series of rapid-fire shots as the music continues to swell yeah. toward a crescendo. We see first a uh, group of ornithopters approaching what could be a siege. It could perhaps be a sequence of uh, Harkonnen raid on a Fremen siege. That's my first thought looking at that, but of course that could be anything. Sure, yeah. We also get another couple of quick flashes of the Colosseum fight scene again with Fade. We get a shot of Margot looking through some binoculars from the crowd. And then we see a shot of a hooded figure walking through a siege. Uh, this could maybe be Reverend Mother Romalo again. Yeah. And some, someone wearing ceremonial garb and there's attendants around them. And then we return to the very first shot of the trailer, back to Paul and Chani on top of that dune. And Chani says, quote, you will never lose me, Paul Atreides. End quote. And then they kiss. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Again, I I'm getting some chemistry right from the trailer. So if that carries through to the rest of the film, it will not be hard for me to believe that they love each other. If Timothy Chalamet can have chemistry with a peach or a tangerine or whatever the fuck it was in Call Me By Your Name. Oh, uh, okay. Have you not seen that movie? I've never. Yeah, I've never seen it. Uh, he has sex with one of them. Oh, <laughs> if okay. he's got If he's got chemistry with an edible piece of fruit. Yeah. Uh, I suspect he can he can build chemistry with anybody. Right, right. Oh, and Zendaya has incredible chemistry with Tom Holland. I mean, that's method acting on her part. <laughs> <laughs> but in the Spider-Man movies, I was like, oh, I like them. I like them as a yeah. couple. Yeah, for sure. I I'm confident that relationship will be strong in this movie. And then I do want to linger a little bit on this next yes. quick shot that we get, because it's yeah. incredibly confusing, and it could be a million different things. We see a woman sort of kneeling and defeated on the ground. She is surrounded by soldiers in black armor, 
and is being approached by someone. We don't see who that someone is. But then the camera cuts. Who knows if this is even the same scene, but the right. camera cuts and we get a close up on someone wearing this like chainmail cowl situation. Yeah. Presumably looking down at this kneeling and defeated woman. Right. And this person looks like Irulan. A lot of the internet thinks it's Irulan. And I think I agree, but yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Like hair and makeup could make that anyone. I'm burned after we thought that it was Moheim like six times in the first movie. And then it turns right. out it was only Moheim once. And we're like, oh shit. It's yeah, a different... we kept calling the wrong person <sighs> Moheim. So clearly shows what we know and uh, the face blindness that you and I have. <laughs> it's uh, terrible. <laughs> but for for all intents and purposes, we can call her Irulan for now. Yeah, And I... Honestly, I have no idea what could be going on in this scene. My theory is that this woman on the ground is maybe some captured Fremen. Yeah. And the black armored guards are probably Harkonnen. We saw them wearing black in part one. And then perhaps Irulan is here investigating the events of Arrakis, investigating the legend of Muad'Dib, and she is here interrogating this captured Fremen. That's sort of my theory on what that what those two very quick shots could mean. Yeah. And it does sort of align with our earlier discussion about Irulan having a greater role in this story and playing a larger part in the legend of Muad'Dib. Right, right. I'm curious what you think, though. Any theories on what these two random shots could mean? Yeah, I really tried to, like, dig into the details of the scene. You know, there's these two, well, they almost look like rats on the floor <laughs> or something. And... Maybe Incredible. those are like distrans bats that have been caught or something. Mm. But I think after hearing your idea that this is a Fremen that's caught and captured, that sounds right because they're a little disheveled. They're a little bloody. Yeah. My very first thought watching the trailer, I was like, oh, this is Jessica into the Reverend Mother scene because it's the same sort of still, still suit that we see Jessica wearing in the first movie. Yeah. But then it doesn't make sense. It's like, why is she roughed up? That doesn't really happen in the book. So that's like a major departure. So after hearing your theory mm -hmm. that it's a captured, maybe being interrogated Fremen, I was thinking, and again, face blindness is a real bastard, <laughs> but it looks like it might be Shishakli, oh. The, oh. the Fremen woman who gives Paul her maker hooks. Mm. And it does look like the same actress. I'm not 100% on that. Again, I don't know. I, I think it's Moheim. I think it's probably Moheim <laughs> on the floor. It's got to be Moheim. <laughs> it's got to be her. Sorry, I don't, I don't see. I'm bad at this. <laughs> No, so I think it's Shishakli, and my theory, my current theory is that after lending Paul her hooks and letting, you know, and, and Paul becomes whatever, at some point later on, she's captured, maybe roughed up a bit by the Harkonnen soldiers, and then, to your point, Irulan is like, you captured a Fremen, I want to learn about this religious leader, Muad'Dib, right. keep her alive, I'm going to ask her questions. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Hold on. I got to go change. I got to put my chain mail on. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. I got to put my mysterious <laughs> chain mail on. I also think it makes sense then that she's wearing this kind of obscuring stuff because she's not wanting to be involved right. as a clear representative right. of House Carino. I also think it makes sense considering I, I'm seeing this pattern of maybe Shishakli being more of a character in this movie and having more of a role. It makes sense why the casting was announced for Shishak. Right, they're like, right. hey, this actress is joining the movie as this character. And everyone's like, what fucking character? Right. <laughs> I've never heard of that character. Yeah, three times in the book. Anyway, she's she's also a rising actress. She's been like award winning. Mm. She's apparently mm -hmm. very, very good. So I'm excited to see 
that. But that that's yeah. my theory. I think it's Shishakli having been caught, as you pointed out, by Harkonnens. Yeah. That sounds right to well, me. Well, how good can she be if she betrays Paul Muad'Dib to Irulan <laughs> Carino, huh? Maybe she doesn't. Maybe I, she why doesn't. are you assuming I, she does? I shouldn't assume. You're right. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up. We only have the final 15 seconds of this trailer left to go. It's okay. One more hour of podcast. One more hour. <laughs> talk only another hour. <laughs> so we next get a shot of an Arrakis sunset. We see the two moons sort of overlapping the sun. It's a very cool shot. Then we see Fade and Margot leaning in for what may be a kiss. Maybe the kiss happens. Maybe it doesn't. We see Chani running and looking concerned, and then we see yet another angle of Paul or maybe someone else, they're obscured, sure. riding a yeah. worm. Right. After that, we hear a fully tattooed, blue-eyed Reverend Mother Jessica say to Paul, quote, we gave them something to hope for, end quote. <sighs> and Paul's response gave me goosebumps, the yeah. way he delivers that line. He says, yeah. quote, that's not hope. End quote. That was yeah. my bad interpretation of how Timmy did <laughs> no, it. That Imagine good. that 10 that times good. better. Yeah. And here again, we chatted about it earlier, but we're seeing this sort of divide between Paul and Jessica, between mother and son, as they're out here surviving among the Fremen. And as I said earlier as well, we are getting hints of that internal struggle within Paul as he's both embracing and despising his status as the Messiah. As Paul right. went deep, right? He is forced into it because of the jihad, et cetera, et cetera. All the things we know from the book. We're seeing that internal conflict play out a little bit in the way that Paul is presented here, in the way he reacts to his mother, who could be talking about a number of things, but is seemingly talking about the Fremen and his rising influence among them. <laughs> she's talking about something completely different. She's like, <laughs> did you feed the Jerboa? And he's like, I did. And she's like, we gave them hope. <laughs> he's like, that's not hope. It's alfalfa. <laughs> yeah, it's probably talking about the Fremen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually, speaking of the Fremen, the very next shot we get after that powerful line delivery from Timothy Chalamet is him climbing up this rock face overlooking thousands of gathered Fremen. So many, yeah. Incredible. His cape is like billowing in the wind. I'm like, God damn it. So cool. Yeah, it feels like maybe the Cave of Birds scene, or rather they're rather than being inside, it's like all of the assembled chieftains of, yeah. you know. That's what I thought as well. I, I assumed it was that scene where he, he does the final rally of the Fremen and declares he is their ruler now. Right. Let's go fuck up <laughs> that little Let's town. Let's do it, bro. Let's do it, bro. Get it done. <laughs> Everybody huddle, everybody huddle. Ooh, 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 and then he gets ooh, up on ooh, yeah, and then he gets up on a worm and does a kickflip on it. Oh <laughs> guy, he is the least on Al Gaib. <laughs> that wasn't keeping it simple or subtle at all. No. He's he's bad at that. <laughs> and then finally we have the words. We oh hear my the words. Goodness. Oh, so exciting. Yes, so at about two minutes and ten seconds, the last five seconds of the trailer. We get Paul facing off with Fade Routha, and they're they're silhouetted against this beautiful orange background. Gorgeous, assembled members of the dark in the in the darkness, kind of watching on. We get this sort of ceremonial Conley duel, and very clearly, it's going to be a visual kind of centerpiece yeah. of that moment. Is going to be this fight, and it's going to be very intentional yeah. in the way it's framed. But he says, "Quote: May thy knife chip and shatter," <laughs> as he does his. Duncan Idaho salute. Oh my gosh. The single line of text from the first book that was referenced beautifully by uh, Jason Momoa 
in the last movie. It's the final moment that Paul saw him. He kind of brings it to his forehead. I will say he kind of does it sloppily though, right? It's not this kind of rigid, perfect held moment the way that mm. Duncan Idaho did mm-hmm. the closing doors. He kind of lifts it to his head in the gesture and then lets it drop. And it's sort of one motion. And uh, we don't need to overthink this too much, but I'm going to <laughs> the idea of him having this Atreidean loyalty and respect, but being changed by the Fremen. So he has the salute that is Atreidean and then it's a little looser and a little bit freer because this is Paul, the Moore, Fremen the Atreides, wild side. Yeah. the Fremen wild leader yeah. and the, the, the religious leader. Yeah. So, it is the salute, but it is a little bit looser than how we saw it before. Yeah, so right. Cool. Dear listener, that's our preview of the shit we're going to talk about when this movie comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Another, what was it? How long was the movie episode? It was, it was like, like six hours, six and a half yeah, hours. Yeah, the raw, raw recording audio. was like six hours and we cut it down pretty aggressively to like <laughs> three and a half. Yeah, almost four hours. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh boy. I'll also point out from a like behind the scenes thing, we had other episodes planned. <laughs> and this episode is just happening because the fucking trailer came out. So people over at Legendary Villeneuve himself fucked up our week. Right. Uh right. thank you. Made our week we so much busier. You. Oh well. <laughs> All right. So that that wraps up. So basically after that shot of Fade and Paul, we see one final shot of him standing knife raised up on that rock cheering and fanatical fremen below going fucking buck wild for their messiah yeah and boom title card yeah that's the shot that we cut to the title card on a haunting final shot i'd say for for this trailer and obviously book readers and those of us that know the story know the implications of that scene the skins of his enemies yeah this is this is the man who's made drums out of the skins of his enemies (laughs) absolutely yeah well We're going to continue this conversation reflecting on some of the final questions that we have left over after this trailer, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff that we don't know yet. Right. And also we're going to share our favorite moments from the trailer. Yes. Singular, as hard as that was. (laughs) But before we do that, we're going to take a quick final break. So don't go anywhere. When we're back, we're going to talk about what we don't know yet. And we're going to share our favorite moment right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everyone. Now that we have explored every aspect of that trailer, let's talk about the things that weren't in that trailer. Right. Let's do it. So there are some lingering questions that we have, right? The trailer showed us some amazing glimpses of the film. Yeah. But it's interesting to consider what wasn't shown as well. What we know will or may be in the film, but wasn't shown in the trailer. Right. Notably, the things that immediately come to mind for me are we saw... Nothing of Emperor Shaddam, nothing of Christopher Walken, who we know will be playing. We might have seen his shoulder. We may have seen a shoulder in a shot. That's true. (laughs) I can't say nothing. But we didn't see the Emperor do or say anything in this trailer. So they're keeping that under wraps for now. We know Christopher Walken will be playing that role. We also saw nothing of either Count Fenring 
or Alia Atreides, two major characters in the book. Yeah. Now, we don't have confirmed actors for either of those characters, although we have talked in the past about how Tim Blake Nelson has been cast in the movie. Right. But his role has not been announced. But it kind of makes sense that if he's been cast, he seems like a good fit for Fenring. So maybe he'll play he'll play Fenring. But who knows? No confirmation. <laughs> maybe he plays Alia. <laughs> he's like, it's me, Alia Atreides. I'm a child and also a girl. Right. My God. Actually, speaking of Alia, that, that, that would be weird and off-putting. <laughs> I am very interested, though, in how they uh, will handle Alia because Alia as a character is very weird and off-putting. Right. In the book, in other adaptations from the Sci-Fi Channel or from David Lynch, Alia is just very weird any way you slice and dice that pair. I, I don't know how that saying goes. <laughs> now, here's where my mind goes about Alia after yeah. seeing this trailer and not getting even a hint of her. It's hard for me to imagine a world where Alia is cut entirely. Yeah. Especially if he's going to do Messiah after. Right. How do you fucking do that? <laughs> she plays such a critical role in Messiah. If Denny wants to do the trilogy that he has said he wants to do, you kind of need Alia. She plays such a critical role in the sequel. Also, Jessica's pregnancy was like a plot point in part one. So it would be incredibly weird, I think, to like kind of pretend the pregnancy doesn't exist anymore. Or how about all of the movie takes place in six months? No time jump. Mm. She's still pregnant toward the end or movie ends... And final shots, Jessica's holding a newborn baby. Yeah. And then Messiah picks up like 12 years later or something. Which, no, yeah, 12 years later. And they can cast like a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old. Right, right. As like a youngish Alia. That's interesting. I hadn't considered it in that direction. But that could be a way to go is compress the timeline enough that Alia just simply doesn't factor into it. The question is, how quickly can Gurney look rugged? <laughs> of all the evidence we have. <laughs> oh, my have, gosh. Give him 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Looking rugged uh, is, a, is a mood. I'm glad you found the mood. That's true. That's true. The other thing that comes to mind for Alia then for me is if we are going to include Alia in this film. Yeah. Uh, it's tough for me to imagine a toddler in that role or like a very young child actor in that role. Yeah. I would imagine you'd have to age Alia up to someone who's like six, seven, maybe even eight years old. Yeah. To be able to sort of sell the weirdness of that character on screen to your average moviegoer. Obviously, that's kind of the opposite direction that you said, where instead of compressing the timeline down, that would expand the timeline further. Because in the book, the time skip is about two-ish, two, three years. If we expanded that out to like six, seven years to allow Alia to be an older child, that kind of fucks with the timeline a bit too. So uh, it's a big question mark for me. I... I'm very curious how they will handle Alia. I think they could go the route that you suggested and compress the timeline. They could go the route of committing to a toddler, a talking toddler, as has been done in past adaptations, or they could fudge the timeline and age up Alia. Those are the three routes that I see happening with Alia in this film. Uh, and there hasn't really been any indication which will happen. I will say, uh, having watched, what was it, Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. The actress who played Leia. Oh, she was great. Uh, was Vivian Lyra Blair, and who is 10 years old and was fucking phenomenal yep. in Obi Wan. Like, yes. was great. And also looks really young. Like, she, she's 10. So she is young. <laughs> but yeah. she looks, she looks younger. younger than 10. Yeah. So I'm like, they could 
age up Alia, and then there's this incredible actress who is right. already very, very good. <laughs> yeah. And looks very young. So they're out there, but you know, they could do it. And again, a lot of like the failures of children acting in movies comes down to the director not knowing how to work with kids and the difficulty of working with children. But then you see good directors get great performances out of young kids and you're like, Oh, so maybe just a good director is all it takes. Right. It's doable. Villeneuve happens to be one of those. <laughs> so if anybody could get like a good performance out of a young kid, I feel like Villeneuve. Yeah. And the team he's built could. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be curious. I'm, I'm very hungry for some Alia news and, uh, hopefully we'll get some. Yeah. Or, or it'll be a surprise. We'll go into the theater totally blind, not knowing what'll happen with Alia. And it'll be a nice surprise. There's like interviews with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. And they're like, are you in Dune? And they're like, no, 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 we're not in Dune. And then we're in the theater and both Spider-Man show up. And we're like, oh, oh shit, they shit. did it again. They, they did fucking they tricked us again. They did it again. They're both or, playing Alia? They're both playing Alia, but they're still in their <laughs> Spider-Man suits. <laughs> again, very off-putting. They're like, Very off-putting. And, oh my god, it's foreshadowed, because we saw that fucking spider creature last time. Oh my god. All leading up to a Spider-Man reveal Dune yeah. Part 2. You are to Holy first, shit. Folks. It's been the MCU this whole time. <laughs> it's been the MCU this whole time. <laughs> oh, how could have we not seen this coming? It's so uh, obvious. Damn. Well, <laughs> that absurd bit aside, <laughs> another thing that's missing from this trailer is a clear representation of, like, prescience. Yes. And Paul's visions, they're just not in the trailer. Yeah. And there are some shots, the really like super saturated blood orange shots could be prescient visions. You know, we got some interesting play of saturation and blurriness and some visual effects in the first movie to indicate when he was having a vision when he wasn't. Mm -hmm. But also part of what made his visions confusing for him as he gets older as a character is that they start being indistinguishable from real life. Right. They be they become more and more vivid. Yeah. And there's that chapter that starts with him wondering where in time he is because his visions are so clear that he struggles sometimes. Like it's only the continuity that keeps him anchored. Yeah. So we don't really see any of that in this trailer and that's okay. The trailer's goal is to get us hyped for the movie and Check. <laughs> Paul like tripping balls is not necessarily <laughs> the most right, exciting right. thing. I'll also say Chani turning to him, taking his face in her hands and going, you will never lose me. Yeah. Yeah. Is if this is them into their relationship, I don't know if this is their first kiss or if this is them together, but the way she said it sounds kind of like, no, 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 we're together, which would be after he's maybe told her a little bit about his visions. And maybe he's told her just before that I had a vision of losing you or like I had a vision of you dying yeah. and she's going, you will never lose me. Like yeah. I'm here. So there's that possibly we have some sense maybe that that's in the movie yeah that's true it could be and it, it's a big question mark because again there's nothing explicit and overt when it comes to prescience in this trailer right uh, we could point at any of the shots and be like maybe that's a vision who knows maybe all the black and white is a vision who knows <laughs> yeah we don't yeah. know for sure oh, shit. Maybe. and what i will say is one of my biggest criticisms of the sci-fi channel miniseries when we did those episodes and went deep on those was how much those series sort of like dubbed down and oversimplified Paul's Kwisatz Haderach abilities. Yeah. Like by the end of the series, like his visions basically don't matter. They're just like a weird superpower where he hears voices. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm not worried that Danny will take that approach. Visions played a key part in the first film. I suspect they will continue to play a critical part here in the second. But I hope we do 
hold on to the visions as a key part of not only Paul's character and his abilities, but as a part of the story of Dune. The whole idea of prescience, the whole idea of knowing the absolute future is so critical to understanding Dune's themes and story that I hope we don't water it down too much. Right. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's important. And it sets the stage for a lot of the internal struggle that he experiences through Messiah. So if yeah. it's diminished, it's hard to pivot and be like, by the way, this has mattered the whole time. Right. And we just didn't right. talk about it. Right. Midichlorians. Midichlorians. <laughs> it's been that the whole time. <laughs> I think the same thing about like Chani and Paul, like we really have to, within the runtime of this movie, get to a place of really believing how much they mean to each other. Yes. And that sort of growth, considering the end of part one was her going, this is only the beginning. <laughs> and, and then that was like kind of one of five things she said to him. And the other four were sassy and mean. Right. Right. Getting from that place of alienation to a place of them being like, no, we love each other and we're together. Believably is a challenge. But like, I think the pressing vision has a lot to do with that. Again, their first night together, he's like, I've seen us together. And she's like, I'm into that. <laughs> That's a, hmm. hmm. We, I mean, let's okay. step, we're at this spice orgy together. Might as well step off and find our own little room because this right, is going to be great. Right. I can't believe that pickup line worked. God damn it. <laughs> I know. I've said that to a dozen people <laughs> and I've gotten 13 restraining orders. It's crazy. <laughs> one of them filed twice. It was overkill. There's only one of me. The, the kind of final thing that we have here for one of the unanswered yeah. questions is regarding Fade Rautha because Fade Rautha serves a lot of purposes in the Dune universe. He is the heir apparent to House Harkonnen, sure. He's the person that ultimately challenges Paul to a life-and-death knife fight toward the end. He's the final hurdle before Paul takes the throne. He is kind of a representation of the cutthroat, bloodthirsty Imperium, where amongst the Landsrad, it's not unusual to kill the person in charge to become the person in charge, right? He attempts to assassinate his uncle who's taught him everything. So, like, he's, he serves a lot of narrative purposes. But... We have talked about how it's kind of important that he's charismatic and charming because part of Baron's whole plan was Beast Raban is the awful, mean, brutal, violent one. And then my beautiful boy, Fade, who is gorgeous and yeah. handsome and skilled. And, you know, at, right. at his birthday, Margot Fenring goes, yeah, he's an impressive person. That's an impressive guy. You know, he's handsome. He's got a lot to him. So all of that's part of him as well. And then I think we've talked about how important it is for Fade Rautha Harkonnen to be charismatic and likable, because at the end of the day, as much as Paul is our protagonist, he's also effectively like skipping his place in line and taking the Imperium through violence and is killing lots of people and is starting a jihad. <laughs> yeah. So like having too little sympathy for the bad people, the quote unquote bad people in the movie I think it diminishes the overall value of the sort of moral gray that Frank Herbert was so careful in constructing. And when Austin Butler was cast, I think we were all feeling very like, oh, wow. So he's a very handsome, charismatic actor. Right. Pretty boy fade. Yeah. Pretty boy fade. Perfect. Not the 33-year-old sting. <laughs> as um, a... Excuse you. Pretty boy fade. <laughs> yeah. That cod piece is doing well work. <laughs> but it seems like... Although initially my instinct was, oh, they're going to lean into the charismatic fade where I would love the audience to kind of be rooting for fade a little bit as much as Paul. 
it seems like Villanova has taken it more in like a brutalistic direction of fade is the sort of like, I mean, we've only seen a few shots of him, but he seems animalistic. He seems brutal. And yeah. And and to be fair, only shots of him in like life and death battle scenarios. We've haven't even heard him speak. So it's true. He he could be a charmer when he opens his mouth. Yeah. I mean, the scene with him and Margot Fenring, it's possible. We'll see him kind of be that like, Oh, you're a pretty lady. (laughs) 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 I'm never going to get over this. I'm a heir apparent to House Harkonnen. Did you see me kill that slave? It was very impressive. Hi. How's it going? Oh, God. And she's like, it's working. It's working for me. Yeah. I like it. I'd pull your hair, but I can't. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. yes, uh, it is important to have a strong, intimidating, scary antagonist. You know, too many movies have suffered the opposite mistake of the villain. It's like, I'm not worried about them. I don't feel like there are stakes versus if we lean in the direction of fade route as fucking terrifying, then we're really going to feel something in that final duel. Yeah. But I don't know. I think that's the biggest question that I have about fade is will his chemistry, his charm, his beautiful boy energy, <laughs> hashtag DBE, his beautiful boy <laughs> energy. Will that be present in the movie? Or are we going to get like an athletic live Baron Harkonnen? Yeah. Like, is, is that what we're going to have? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, that, that's a question that comes up for me as well, is how they will treat Fade in this story as the foil to Paul Atreides. Right. And there is a risk of leaning too far into the, oh, he's just like a <laughs> yeah. evil, evil Harkonnen, you know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, and it, we we need to see some of that subtlety in him. That makes him endearing, not just to the audience, but to the characters in the Dune universe as well. So we'll see. We'll see how they they handle it. Yeah, in 2023, I'm hoping that we are moving away from like caricatures and they're like, I'm going to blow up the world. And you're like, (laughs) why? You live here. (laughs) They're like, (laughs) you know, that's never really struck like empathetic strings with us. And I think when you watch like The Last of Us show, and you see, oh yeah, moral grays where everybody has a real genuine desire to get something done or to like protect people they love or whatever. Yeah, that's really stressful and it's beautiful and, and, and yeah. energizing. Yeah. Plus, we, we have the big bad brute in Beast Robot. You know, we don't that's need true. two of them. So, right. and Baron Harkonnen, who fucking and, cut and, off Huey's head. <laughs> frankly, Baron Harkonnen. Yeah, we, we got the big baddies. You know, we don't need more of the big baddies so hopefully fade plays a more subtle role in the they film. are baddies aren't they they can <laughs> fucking get it any of them they're all great looking all right well let's wrap up yeah. with our favorite moments and i want to point out that in the script mm-hmm. i have a note from you abu mm-hmm. that says a favorite moment singular and then quote pick one caps Leo, I'm watching you, sir. Don't you dare say, here are my top three. Because I knew you would. I knew you would. There was no stopping you. And I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna get ahead of this. The toxic urge to pick a top five. Yep. <laughs> Just to fuck with you. I knew. I was like, I was like I'm blindly shooting a bullet here. This is yeah. either going to shoot myself in the knee or it's going to hit the target. And luckily, you were in a good mood today and picked one. But I don't doubt that you'll try to sneak in another as we discuss it. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if I'm benevolent today. <laughs> well, okay. So what's your favorite moment singular? Yeah. Uh, for me, this one, this is easy. It is the shot of Paul on that rocky outcropping standing above the fanatical horde of Fremen. Yeah. 
absolute chills. I had goosebumps at that moment in the trailer. And it means so much, not only for the film itself. Of course, it's an epic and cinematic moment, and it looks incredible on screen. But the implications that we know from the book of that moment for the larger story are just so dark, right? Right. This is basically the moment where Paul is like, yep, unleashing the jihad. I see no other path forward. Right. And the visual is just so striking to see in the trailer. This charismatic leader standing up top on the rocky outcropping, riling up the strongest warriors in the empire and knowingly about to unleash them on the galaxy. What that means for the story, what that means for Paul's character in this universe is incredible. And I hope we get a sense of that throughout this film. And I actually hope that a lot of this film is bleak, yeah. which is kind of a weird thing to hope. But <laughs> yeah. I really do think there needs to be a real sense of discomfort throughout the latter half of this book and throughout the latter half of this movie. I almost think viewers should walk out of the movie theater kind of being like, do I feel weird? Why do I feel weird that Paul won and took the throne at the end? Because it should be a little uncomfortable. You should be like, should we really be doing with everything this Paul guy says? That warning against charismatic leaders is so key to the Dune saga. It's something that Frank hammered time and time and time again, not just in the first book, but in the sequels as well. And so I hope this movie captures that. And I will say, I at least don't think any adaptation of Dune has ever successfully captured that at the end. Right. It's either gone horribly awry like the david lynch film where he literally becomes the messiah and has the very classic hero's journey or it goes the direction of the sci-fi channel miniseries where there's a bit of subtlety but in the end he's still like literally a messiah wearing all white in a weird kung fu outfit or whatever and wins <laughs> the day right like that wins the day feeling should be very short-lived because you should also be a little uncomfortable about the way he won the day and about what is to come next. There should be apprehension there. Right. And I think if Denny can capture that feeling, that's a very difficult, that's such a fine line to walk, totally. right? Yeah. That's so difficult to do. And if Denny doesn't do it, he can't be blamed for it, right? If he does his best and it falls short, we'll talk about it. But if he captures it, if he pulls off the miracle of capturing that apprehension at the end of this film, this will be the definitive adaptation of Frank's story that stays true to those themes from the book and to the overall message of charismatic leaders. So that was my very long-winded way of saying Paul Atreides on that rock looking dope as fuck. Yeah. Well, also for what that means for the Fremen, right? We have the Pardo Kynes quote, no more terrible disaster could befall your people than for mm -hmm. them to fall into mm -hmm. the hands of a hero. Whew. End quote. And the idea that Paul saved the day and saved the Fremen and Jessica, we gave them hope and that's not hope. And, and what takes us to Paul defeating house Carino and defeating house Harkonnen. Yes. You do want to have a sense at the end of the movie of like, Oh, things are not quite right. And also I think if Villeneuve wants to go on and do Messiah, the way to set up Messiah is to leave people with the feeling of this story is not done yet. Right. Lay the groundwork lay the groundwork. And if Paul ends this movie still hateful and worried and maybe exhausted, but maybe depressed, he's in a malaise, you know, he's, yeah. he's feeling very, yeah. he's got that ennui. <laughs> 
that I think is going to be the right move. And if my concern is if Vilna hasn't yet secured funding for Messiah and he wants to end the movie in a way that will make it a complete package, that would be a different strategy than setting up the third movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I a hundred percent. And again, I've been very clear. I think in Messiah, not saying anything about the plot of Messiah, I think Apollotrates that we are all a little bit afraid of, that we're all apprehensive of, and that we it, they are confused by, would be very, very, very impressive to me. And yeah. I think would do justice to the heart of the Dune books. Yes. Where this charismatic leader is something to be worried about. Yeah, definitely. All right, what about you? What was your singular favorite moment of this trailer? So I chose three. Uh, <laughs> no, I uh, I chose the final moments of Paul's first worm ride. Mm, so mm -hmm. the reaction shots, everyone's reactions to it. And I chose this for a few reasons. First of all, they knew what they were fucking doing. They knew what they were doing with this shot. It's incredible. It's a minute of like what appears to be uninterrupted footage <laughs> of the movie. Yeah. But I think overall, this movie has a lot of work to do in not only moving the plot of the book forward from where we left off to the end of the book, yeah, but also in the characters and what they mean to each other. Yeah. And showing Chani, who I mentioned earlier, at the end of the first movie, you're like, they've barely spoken to one another. And he has seen her in visions, but they haven't talked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, she was like, what? And he's like, oh, nothing. And I'm like, yeah, that is how it goes when I talk to women. <laughs> but we need to spend time with them and understand that they truly fall in love to, to kind of feel that. And that needs to be handled well. And I see her excitement and exuberance about his success being a really beautiful little moment. Because this is two years later in the book where they are together. So for her to see him succeed is, is beautiful. But also by that same token, Stilgar, within this movie's runtime, Stilgar has to go from, you know, the surly stranger who doesn't really know him but is will take him in to protect him because he promised you know Leah kinds that he would needs to get to that whole like that's my son right. that's my boy right. <laughs> like he needs to get to the point of being that surrogate father figure for paul that best friend that right hand man that confidant but also that like basically daddy stillgar yeah absolutely. he needs to get there and i think that in this little trailer like Javier Bardem is one of my favorite actors working today. And the amount of emotion in his face in that little moment is just, Ugh. is really breathtaking. And it, and it reminds me of like, like it still doesn't get old to me. The line from Leto Atreides to Paul from the first trailer of the first movie where he says, whatever you are, you're my son. And that's right. all I like need you to oh, be that, that whole little moment, chills, yeah. right? Incredible. And I think that this moment with Stilgar will go down as a similar moment for me in this movie where I'll never get tired of seeing just the vibrance of Javier's performance. Yeah. And then I'll also say, to your point, we are seeing the beginnings of the legends of Muad'Dib as Paul ascends to the throne and realizes himself as the leader of this jihad and the leader of the Fremen. And this scene in particular is one of the first moments that Paul is going, oh shit, they're going to remember all of this as legend, as this is, they're going to tell their children about this. And this is going to be part of the storybooks and doing that well and showing us how epic it looks from the perspective of the Fremen watching from a distance 
is going to be really important. And it looks like they're fucking nailing it. So anyway, all of that to say, equally long-winded, all of that to say, <laughs> I think that the reaction scene was really um, exciting and had a lot of emotion and aptly summarized, you know, the, the people who are going from like full sitting to jumping up and screaming yep. aptly summarized my, my hype at watching Absolutely. him kind of crest to the worm's side as he's clinging on, risking speeding tickets and uh, Incredible. dodging the police at a five-star rating. <laughs> it's a Grand Theft Auto check. <laughs> Grand yeah. Theft Arrakis. It's an incredible scene. And I I'm all in. If this is what it means to be part of Paul Medivh's religion, sign me the fuck up. <laughs> Sold. Where do I where yeah. do I go for that jihad? Yeah. Do I do I need to bring my passport? You know, uh, do, it, do, we, do we need to test COVID tests before? No. <laughs> are we masking? We are masking. <laughs> we are masking. Okay. okay. Yeah. All righty. Well, that is our <laughs> deep dive into this trailer, the official yeah. trailer for Dune Part Two. I think it goes without saying that we are hyped capital H hyped for this film. What we've mm -hmm. seen looks incredible. What we haven't seen, we're excited for, and it's going to be amazing. And we're mere months away. I know that feels like a long time. Yeah. yeah. But there was a time when we were over a year away. It's true. Years away. And now we're mere months away. That's how time works. Five years ago, could not have even imagined being here. Right. Let alone now we're on the, we're on the horizon. Yeah. No better time to be a Dune fan. And we say that all the time on this podcast. It's true. Hop on the bandwagon, folks. <laughs> yeah. Now, before we let you go, as always, we do want to remind you of a couple of ways to support this show, if you like what we do here, and of the best way to get in touch with us, to say hello. It's true. And first up, best way to support us. If you like what we do, and you want us to keep doing it, you want to make it easier for us to give this fucking show the time it demands of us. <laughs> Become a patron. Yes. Patreon.com slash Gamjabar. You get some uh, bloopers, ad-free episodes. You get early access to the TikToks that we've been making. Uh, sometimes we even forget to put things on TikTok. And we put them on Patreon and then go, hey, our job's done. <laughs> <laughs> and we move on. So exclusive footage there. We also have ad-free episodes. Right. We have an exclusive Discord server that's been a buzz yeah. since this trailer came out, which has been really fun. Fun to see people picking things apart and offering suggestions. Uh, so very, very cool. A lot of fun to have. And, and of course, again, for everybody who does support us as a patron, you make what we do possible. This show takes an almost unbelievable amount of time. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, and we're only able to do it because of the supporters on Patreon.com. So please consider supporting us, Patreon.com slash Gamjabar. That's right. And look, there's also another way you can support us as well. <gasps> How? Buy yourself some cool Dune-themed swag. Oh my gosh, on like Amazon or like... No, no, I don't no, know. Leo, no, 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 no. From our merch store, GamjabarShop.com. That makes sense. That URL makes sense to me. <laughs> It's intuitive. We've got art, folks. We've got apparel. We've got mugs, a tote bag. We have a shirt designed by Leo himself that says, may thy knife chip and shatter. Wait, I fucking have it. I'll be right back. Yes. Show us on show us on the video if you want that shirt. Gamjabarshop.com. Of course, not only is it a great way to get yourself or the Dune lover in your life a nice little gift, but it's an excellent way to support us here on the show as well. And it's also, I want to say, we can cut this as a bonus for patrons, but I want to say, so this this is the shirt, 
Nice. Right. Cool. Cool. Chipping and shattering Chris knife. Cool. So that's the Japanese from the print book. That was like the 63 translation or something like that. I had a script writer for the ambassador of Japan or the ambassador of the U.S. living in Japan go to a physical bookstore to take a photo of this line because I wanted to make sure it was as authentic as possible. Yeah. So this is the line from the Japanese, Japanese translation, translation. May they Dune. May they knife. Chip and Shatter. So yeah. cool. Such One of my favorite designs on our store. Thank you. You did a... 10 out of 10 job with that. Thanks. And finally, <laughs> we love to hear from you. So if you have questions, comments, concerns, if you have this, you're excited about this movie, let us know. <laughs> uh, podcast at gmail.com. That's the place. You can email us anytime because again, and I hate to say this so many times, that's how emails that's simply work. simply how emails work. That is simply how. We've made sure that that's the case. <laughs> We've verified this fact with experts and third party, unbiased third parties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Rest assured, Irulan is on the case. She has also confirmed. Irulan's <laughs> investigative that, that emails are 24-7. She works for Vice, which is, you know, yeah. fine. Although I think, didn't they just declare bankruptcy recently? Um, yeah, they're not doing so hot. So Irulan might have to get a new uh, job. But that's not that's not because of Irulan's excellent reporting. No, 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 no. no, no. It's in spite of. In spite honestly. of. Honestly, she's, she's, a, she's a diamond among yeah, the rough. Yeah, look, sure. the media industry is falling apart, but it has nothing to do with Irulan's journalistic chops. No. Or her torture slash investigative abilities. It's true. She's very good at the torture part of that. Yeah, yeah. Top-notch interrogator. Loves to waterboard. <laughs> Loves loves it. Does it even if for people who don't know anything? She'll just ask them basic questions and then demand the answer from them. <laughs> she's like, "Oh, I'm going to the Gulf for like an amusement park," and you're like, "Orlando Disney," and she's like, "No, no, no, Guantanamo." <laughs> it's gonna be great. <laughs> they have all these great attractions where you like, yeah, get information out of people. It's great. Yeah, yeah. A little unknown part of history. She created the Dune version of Guantanamo. That's true. That's fact. Yeah. Seleucus Secundus, Irulan's idea. Prison planet. It's true. Seleucus Secundus, also in the Gulf. (laughs) (laughs) Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Wadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Gom Chabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path. <laughs>